Gentiles. As I was looking at this, I was intrigued a little bit by some of Paul's, one of his, um, kind of his unique way of writing here. So he starts out this chapter, he says, for this cause. Okay, so what is happening for this cause? Well, he makes you wait until about verse 14 to finish out what's happening. So we're going to leave that for now. I'll make you wait too, just um, as we go on here. For this cause, he kind of uh, brings out a, a clause on, on the mystery of Christ. He says, we'll read verses 2 through 6 at this time. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So Paul brings out his, his call here. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, that word dispensation would have the meaning of, of a steward, one who um, cares for maybe a household. So Paul has been given this stewardship of the grace of God. <clears throat> and, and yes, he is drawing our minds back to, to the grace of God. Then in verse 3, he talks about the mystery, how the mystery has been revealed to him. Now I mentioned before about a mystery. At times people try to solve the mystery. Here the mystery was revealed to Paul. It was made known to him. A mystery, verse 5, brings out that it was, in other ages it wasn't known, or it wasn't understood, perceived. And that's referring to the, the first covenant. Not know, Now it is known through the Spirit by the apostles and prophets. <clears throat> so something unknown under the first covenant. Now it is known and understood, not by everyone, but by some, under the new covenant. Here he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. So the invitation of the Gentiles to partake of the spiritual gifts in Christ. And that's what specifically Paul focuses on as the mystery here. But I would like to just read a number of other verses from the New Testament. Um, I just, it's not a complete list, but it's a list that uh, the Thompson Chain reference would have given. So I'm going to do that right now, uh, beginning in Romans, Romans chapter 16. 
and hopefully bringing out um, a little more. Some of these verses um, may not really detail it out much. Some may be a little more detailed. Um, Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So the mystery here, something that was kept secret since the world began. This mystery was in God's mind way back when he created the earth, created the world. Was kept secret, but now made apparent, now revealed, now to be understood for the obedience of faith. So we understand that faith is involved in understanding this mystery. He also says, "Man, it is manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. So this was a mystery that the prophets were writing about but they didn't even comprehend it. It was hidden within their, their prophecies, but now understood. Going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, he talks about the mystery being foreordained before the world began. Then he says, if the leaders of this world or if the leaders, uh, princes of this world, it calls them, had understood this mystery, they would not have crucified Jesus. Okay, they would have understood in some ways what they were doing. Ephesians 1. And this is uh, one, yeah, we did, we read this and looked into it just a little bit here. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The mystery of of his will. He brings out the phrase there, in one. 
in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, looking at unity in Christ, and that is involved in this mystery. The next one is one we just read, Ephesians 3, 4. We're going to jump over that one and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 26 through 29. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. What does he say there? He's speaking of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? The mystery of Christ, Christ in you. Colossians 2.2 that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. I don't really have comments on that one, but going to Colossians 4, verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Paul's in prison for speaking, or at least, yeah, a prisoner, for speaking the mystery of Christ. But he's looking for a door, for an opening to utter the mystery of Christ. And finally, um, I'd like to read yet, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And without controversy, I, I think of the word argument, without argument, beyond all doubt. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Christ coming to the earth justified in the spirit and not sure exactly what that's referring to but i'm thinking possibly uh, maybe more than this but possibly to the baptism of christ the spirit coming and confirming him seen of angels preached unto the gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory As we ponder the mystery, Ephesians 3.6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. And I'm going to just word it this way, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is granted to me. Herein is a mystery. The cleansing and transformation that we receive in Christ. 
I had to think of an old building being made new, all right? Our mind goes to the church house. It was an older building, and it showed its age. And some months down the road, we are hoping to see basically what looks like a new building there. You can go, you can talk to any one of the carpenters in here, and they could, after this project is completed, they could go and explain we did this, and we did this, and we did this, which now, here it is. You can detail it out, but you cannot explain exactly how it works, the old life being made into a new life. That's a mystery. It's a mystery that you can't explain, but you can experience it. And I trust we have experienced it here this morning. The mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God could take a multitude of people and bring them into one body, or one building, or the other comparisons that are used, to bring them together to glorify himself is certainly a mystery. I had to think how sometimes you can, you can see a, an upstanding person, and um, I'm not talking necessarily a person from the, the church. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm talking people that you might see out there in the world who in, in many ways they may be an upstanding person, an honorable person. How often do you see a, a large group of people Sorry, I lost my, where I was, I know where I'm going here. I'm not sure how to say it. <laughs> a large group of people, a multitude of people who comes together and can work together to the glory and the praise of God. Herein is a mystery. Moving on to the next section here. Paul is talking of his call to the ministry of the gospel. 7 through 13, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. 
Paul referred to himself as a minister, and that word minister is the word that would be used for deacon, the, where we get our word deacon, um, which means a servant. So Paul was a servant according to the gift of the grace of God. In verse 8, he recognizes his unworthiness unto me who am less than the least of all saints. My mind goes to when Paul was called, then Saul. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter to the church. He was trying to stamp out. He was trying to annihilate the church. And he was doing his best to do that. And now he's saying, and God's grace reached down to me. As I think of Paul saying of himself being the least of all saints, I, I don't know if, if he said that in Peter's presence, um, Peter might have argued with him on that. I don't know. Recognizing that he had denied his Lord. Each one of us is unworthy of the gift of God's grace. But another thing that Paul saw in my thinking, was the gap between himself and God. As he thought of himself, his lowliness, and of God's greatness, his almighty greatness. And that Paul was called to minister for God. That he was called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ called to make known the fellowship of the mystery. And he recognized how small he was. Can we recognize how small we are? And how great God is, what he has called us to. Another thing that that um, maybe it kind of uh, blows my mind. But he says in verse 10 there, and this is also um, the call of Paul, which is the call of the church, to the intent now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now, you might read over that quickly and miss it. But now unto principalities... I'm going to take a little phrase out of there for a moment. It's the phrase, by the church to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known the manifold wisdom of God. Okay, now I'm going to put that phrase back in there. Might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. 
You know, we see what is happening here on this earth, and we see it as affecting people. Uh, what's happening in the church, what's happening around us, it's affecting people. But as God's people, as the church, there is something that the church is doing for beings that are beyond this earth. That principalities and powers in heavenly places, that to them it might be known the manifold wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, are we showing the manifold wisdom of God as his people, as his church, as his body here on this earth. They're looking on to see the manifold wisdom of God. And I, it's, it's beyond me to understand that. But that's what he says here. And verse 11 that was his purpose from the beginning, that the church should do that. Then in verse 12, he states that we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Boldness and access with confidence to God through our faith in Christ. I just had to think, if God has so graciously made us participants of his mystery, the gospel of Christ, his grace, the saving power through faith. If he is now using his people, his body, to glorify himself not only in the world, but also in places above this world, can that incite within you and I a confidence and a boldness to come to God not a boldness to stand up to God, but a boldness to come to God without hesitation, knowing that he wants to hear us, that he wants us to come to himself. Move on to the last part of the chapter. Verse 1 said, for this cause. And now, verse 14 begins. For this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. For this cause, for the cause of the grace of God, for the cause of the mystery of God that is working within us, <coughs> Paul says, 
I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bow, I pray for you, he could, we could say. He's putting that boldness that he spoke of here a few verses ago into practice as he comes to God. As we come to God in boldness, bowing the knee brings a reverence, brings a humility as we come before our Almighty God. As we come before the Father of Jesus Christ, he references the whole family in heaven and earth being named through God the Father. Who is that whole family? And just in, in a little bit of my studying and what some people have to say, so I think of the family of God here on this earth. But some would have referenced, would have said that it could be referring to the entire realm that will spend eternity together. Those, yes, definitely, the church of Jesus Christ on this earth in eternity, but also referring to the heavenly beings as a part of the family of, of God. Doesn't specifically name that here. The prayer is that he would grant according to the riches of his glory. Uh, three words there stood out to me. Grant, or we would use the word give, riches and glory. And, and as, I, as I think of Paul's prayer, his, his boldness in coming to God, He's thinking of, of God's giving, his riches, and his glory. And it kind of feels like he's, he's asking God to give lavishly. A wealthy father can give lavishly. And our father is rich. He's praying for strength and might in the inner man. A personal strength but also a strength to do the work of God. He prays for the indwelling of Christ within, of his continued uh, presence, his continued work within our lives. And also praying, verse uh, 17, that ye, might, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, uh, thinking of rooted, we think of a plant, maybe specifically a tree that has a solid rooting in the ground and can withstand the storms, can withstand the, the, the big things in light, uh, in, that the elements bring their way. Thinking of grounded, that could uh, probably be referring to a foundation. Um, Brother Weston read about uh, the foundation this morning. And a foundation is, is very important for a building to be solid and to be lasting. And the prayer of Paul is that the church, uh, the church of Ephesus here, or whoever that all this letter may have gone to, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And that being the love of Christ, 
the love of God. And I trust that that is our prayer for each one of us here this morning, that we would not be swayed by the things of this life, things that may look big to us, by the things of this world, but that we would have our roots where they belong. He goes on in verse 18 that we, okay, verse 17, being rooted and grounded in the love that we might be able to comprehend or to grasp with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge be filled with the fullness of God. Now, I think Paul was probably grasping to bring this into a way we could understand it, of the greatness of God, of who God is, the breadth or the width, the length, the depth and the height of God, that we might be able to understand that. The, we could say the greatness of God. Being able with all saints, okay, that's not just you individually and you and you, but it's with all saints to be able to see the vastness of Christ's love. He's speaking of the church here. And as we are together in the church, we can see in greater ways the work of Christ. We can see his love and everything about him. And then he says, in my own words here, to know what is beyond knowing. He says that ye, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. The love of Christ passes a humanly speaking knowledge. But it's a part of that mystery. We may not be able to understand it fully, but we can experience that love within our hearts. Just in closing here, as I um, consider this comprehending the vastness of God and knowing what is beyond human knowledge of the love of Christ, my mind, so I mentioned not having a New Year's message as such, but at times, we do try to have a message on devotional life towards the beginning of the year. I don't know if that'll come yet or not, but um, spending time with God, and we heard about that in Sunday school too, of taking the time for God, not just putting in time in the morning. Yes, we do need that habit, and having that habit is better than just giving up and not doing it at all if we're discouraged. What about you? Do you have a, a devotional plan uh, for the new year? Um, sometimes maybe you think of, of freshening it up. If you're like me, you need to freshen it up sometimes. 
I came to the new year and I, um, I wasn't planning to freshen it up, but uh, the challenge was put out there to read the Bible in a year, and it's something I've tried before, and I think um, I got through it, the whole way to Revelation, and then uh, did Revelation in the next year, but it's something that, that's been, been a challenge for me to, to get through it in a year, and um, I was kind of on a train of Brother Matt had shared with me um, some time ago about get to the end of the Bible and just start over, uh, not necessarily putting a time limit on it. And, um, and I think that's good. That's fine. I was doing that, and I just kind of decided for myself, for this year, I want to start where I've been and um, see if we can get back to there by the end of the year. And if it doesn't happen, um, I'll just try to continue on. Um, I'm putting that out there for my plan, a little bit of my plan. Um, and I'm sure my plan, um, I hope it develops even more as the year goes on. But what about you? Do you have a plan to freshen it up and to go into the depths and to see the breadth and the width and the height of who God is? We will never exhaust what we know of God in this lifetime. We will never exhaust that. We always have room to study, to learn, and to grow. And I trust that we are trying to gain a greater, a greater gasp of who God is. The uh, last couple verses there... Um, would be a benediction that we would often use. I plan to use that later. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And as we think of our God, our great, our vast, almighty God, he is well able to do above that what we can ever imagine or comprehend. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And I trust it is our desire, our endeavor, as a church, as a body, as a building, to be to the praise of his glory. Let's kneel for prayer.